This is episode 230 of IDRA Class Notes. Our issue here is how do we address equity issues and how these equity issues central to the development of American history and the stability of contemporary society. We believe that with the proper training and the proper practice, classrooms can be a space where kids' lives and their own experiences are reflected in the curriculum as a tool to increase the rigor and the relevance of curriculum. Welcome to the IDRA Class Notes podcast. I'm Christy Goodman, IDRA's Director of Communications. Today, we're focusing on an important tool or framework for culturally sustaining instruction. I'm excited to have with me Dr. Marlon James and Dr. Kelly Ferguson with Equality and Equity Group. They are national leaders in preparing teachers to serve in multicultural classrooms. Good afternoon to both of you. Good afternoon to you, Christy. (laughs) Good afternoon, Christy. How are you? I have had the extreme pleasure to work with you in the development of Ottery's new school resource hub, We All Belong that has original and curated lesson plans and tools for teaching and leading conversations about race and gender in the classroom. This is a free tool at idraseen.org slash hub. Dr. James and Dr. Ferguson developed the original lessons that are available now, like the real world, understanding the difference education makes, which is for math classrooms, and leading the fight with lead, which is a middle school science lesson. We also have a series of elementary school lessons called Yes, She Can. Each of your lessons is based on the framework with intercultural skills called America is Me or AIM that you developed. So let's start by sharing the purpose of the framework and where it came from. Well, thanks for having us, Christy. AIM is a framework that's near and dear to both Dr. Ferguson and myself. I think over our combined 40 years in education, we've always taught for equity, for justice in our classrooms, whether in K-12 or in higher education. I think AIM specifically came about through a process when following Floyd murder, my three teenage children came to me with questions that, that it was challenging to answer those questions like, you know, why do people hate us because of our skin? And I did my best to give them answers that, that would both soothe them and, and motivate them. And I remember telling them that this is not a new challenge for our nation and for African-Americans particularly, but that through education and through leadership building, it has always been the role of African-Americans to make this society a better place. And that over time, it will be their generation's turn to do the same. After that conversation, I began thinking about what can I do more? Yes, we can march, we can protest, we can write letters. But with my particular skill set, I felt that there were some things I can do to help prepare the next generation of educators to teach like I've taught over the decades that I've taught. And so I wrote the AIM framework as a one-page PowerPoint because I was going to use it during my summer course to train pre-service teachers to teach for equity. My course was switched, however, and so I, I didn't get an opportunity to use the framework, and it sat dormant over the summer. And IDRA approached Kelly and I to 
partner with them to create some unique lessons. And I showed Dr. Ferguson the, the AIM framework. And with her expertise from K-12 teaching, she was able to help me take it from a pre-service teacher model to a curriculum development model. And we then decided to use AIM as our framework to develop a series of 12 lessons, really as guides to K-12 educators rather than prescriptions. We see educators as master chefs in many ways. And so these AIM lessons, as well as all the other materials in the Educator Resource Hub, are just really designed to provide a set of ingredients that they then can use to make their own masterpieces in their classrooms to meet the needs of their specific kids. But through all of the series that we've developed with AIM, you'll find that teachers will be able to take these lessons, actually do them, but then be able to build on them and to use the skills that they learn through teaching with these particular lessons to design their own lessons. So that's kind of how the framework came into being and the big vision behind the framework. Fabulous. I love that history of where it came from. I mean, yeah, it's really timely, like where we are today really needed. Could you give us, give our listeners an overview of the framework and what the elements are? Sure. So again, AIM stands for America is me. And Dr. Ferguson, she'll jump in in a moment and talk about the five intercultural skills. But if we think about what's happening in our society today, I think our young people are really confused. Like they're seeing adults who all say they love the country act in ways toward each other that does not exude love. And we don't really have a space for children to discuss what they're seeing happening in our society. And so AIM is designed to provide these curricular resources, as well as a framework for teachers that as they master this framework, they'll be able to develop these same type of lessons for their own students. But our issue here is how do we address equity issues and how these equity issues central to the development of American history and the stability of contemporary society. We believe that with the proper training and the proper practice, classrooms can be a space where kids' lives and their own experiences are reflected in the curriculum as a tool to increase the rigor and the relevance of curriculum. Dr. Ferguson, you could jump in. So to piggyback off of that, AIM delves into five very specific intercultural skills. It is our belief that to be successful in life and even professionally, it requires so much more than academic knowledge. It necessarily requires things like us being able to work effectively with others, to find common ground when we disagree, and even to recognize that we all play a role in bettering our nation. So you can find these values embedded within these five intercultural skills, with the first one being that of solidarity, which focuses on curating unity, the sense of unity building amongst students, the community, and the larger world. The second intercultural skill is that of social awareness, where we prioritize helping students to understand their impact on others. What they do does not affect them solely, 
it has an mediating impact on others as well. The third intercultural skill is that of social-emotional wellness. This is where we are prioritizing a focus on a healthy sense of self. The fourth one is sociocultural exchange, this idea of helping students to engage in healthy communication across cultures, which we certainly just we don't see enough of. And then lastly is that of social change, this idea of making a difference in the world. So what we do, what we learn, the skills we develop, the competencies that we hone in school are not just for those four walls in the school, but they are certainly to be used to help the world beyond the school. So as Dr. James talked about this sense of crisis of division that our nation is facing, we have to do all that we can to help our children, to help our students, to find a better way forward. That's an imperative. So for us, AIM is our contribution toward that goal. So you want to talk a little bit more about why the skills are so important for students, like maybe an, an example of one of the skills or how you uh, have integrated that into a lesson? Sure. One of the first AIM lessons that we taught, I was in my office and I received an email or a call. I can't remember which one it was from a uh, administrator in Houston. And they said, Dr. James, we need you to come to our school because we're having fights in our school because kids are using the N-word. And we just need you to come to the school and tell them not to do it. <laughs> just stop saying it. And having three teenagers, I knew that when you set a rule like that, you invite defiance, particularly among teens. So I said, well, we can't really tell them not to say it. But I tell you what, Let's survey the students and find out why they're using the N-word as, as well as other racial slurs when they're using it, you know, for what reasons they're using it and, and what context they're using it in and how are the adults responding to them when they do use it. We sent the survey out, got plenty of responses back from kids, analyzed the results, met with the administrators. Then we developed a lesson for the young people which really was the precursor to the AIM lessons we call mm -hmm. the Generation Omega. I went in and demonstrated to the teachers the lesson. And the kids, the conversation was robust. And the questions that they had and the comments and the peer-to-peer -peer interactions and the peer-to-peer -peer conversations were some of the highest I've ever seen, to be honest. And the children made once they went through the process, they made their own decisions about other alternative ways of talking to one another without the use of racial slurs. They decided about what they wanted to do, which was the culminating project of that lesson was for them to kind of think about how they wanted to refer to one another. And so the intercultural skills are absolutely essential when business leaders send back to universities feedback on how well students are doing, particularly in their first year out of college in their new professional roles. One of the things that they constantly send back to universities is students struggle to work with one another, particularly across gender lines, socioeconomic lines, and racial lines. And so intercultural skills are absolutely essential for people's professional and personal successes but when you look at the intercultural skills, they're not separate from academic skills. So when you look at social change, social change is better known as amelioration. 
which is the highest level of human cognition or human learning. So amelioration says that I'm taking this lesson and I am applying the material to my own life so that I can make appropriate adjustments to my thinking and behavior and become a better person. It also says that now that I'm a better person, I'm going to affect change within my peer group and local community. So these skills, although we call them intercultural skills, intercultural skills are not separate from academic skills. They are expressions of academic skills. And this is the reason why AIM, I think, is such a powerful framework, because we don't have to do anything extra to build an AIM lesson, because these are simply expressions of academic skills. And so what we did through the 12 lessons is we demonstrated that you could teach intercultural skills to pre-K students, and you could teach it to high school students. You could teach it to middle school math students, and you could teach it to high school young people in history classes. It is cross-curricular, and it is developmentally appropriate at every grade level if teachers learn the various skill sets associated with how to use each of them. So these skills, I think, are absolutely essential in a society that is as diverse as America. If we have more young people and older people, too, with (laughs) intercultural skills, we will have a society that's able to capitalize on the rich diversity of our nation, which has been our strength historically. But there are many people who want to use that strength as a source of division. And intercultural skills are important because they're inter, they connect different cultures. And and they are part of the solution set that we need to strengthen our society and to secure our future. Amen to that. I can keep going, but I'm I'm gonna stop here. (laughs) So when a teacher wants to use the framework in their classroom, how do they do it? What do they need to know? So AIM is a framework, whether teachers realize it or not, that is more than likely already being used by teachers. So it's used in conjunction with state or national standards by infusing these intercultural skills. Teachers can create these very uniquely relevant topics, such as making a link between environmental health hazards and racial and economic makeup of communities. But this framework, it's important for teachers to know that this framework is culturally responsive by design, very intentionally. So And essentially what that means is that it's activating teaching that very intentionally examines and responds to practices that effectively reach students with a range of backgrounds, with a diverse set of abilities. So what teachers need to know, what they will find in the curriculum is that AIM prioritizes these pedagogical strategies that promote high student engagement. That's something that was very important to us. What teachers should know is that Each lesson will prioritize two to three different intercultural skills. Each lesson then will include a description of how those specific intercultural skills are tailored to and help amplify the targeted aims of the lesson. So it's not something that they have to look at and figure out, okay, I see they identified two or three skills, but I'm not sure how they tie to the lesson objectives. That will be made very plain um, to them. And then beyond that, I think that what's needed from teachers is just what's needed of when we consider the best practices of teachers, like having this 
willingness to innovate, having an open mind, having the willingness to take instructional risks. Those are some of the most important things to know to prepare them for and make the greatest use out of the AIM framework. I believe that they will find how much of what they do already integrates, but the AIM framework helps provide a language for this that maybe they didn't have before. When I think about my classroom teaching experience, I was engaging in culturally responsive teaching, but I just didn't have the language for that. And so our hope is that this framework will help provide that language for them and and maybe even help them to develop their culturally responsiveness even further. And the only thing I would add to that is, and traditionally teachers are trained to start with either federal standards or state standards, articulate those into objectives, tie those objectives to relevant learning experiences and materials, and then assess student learning. What AIM does and what culturally responsive teaching does generally is it adds an extra step. And that step comes before your standards, before your objectives. You start with your student's social, emotional, academic strengths and needs. And understand that in order for education to be effective, you necessarily have to prioritize that with the academics. You have to, right? And so instead of trying to figure out how to fit it in later on in the lesson, AIM just starts with it. And it says that these intercultural skills are critical for all American kids. And so once you decide, okay, I want to do a lesson that might build young people's sense of unity one with another. Then almost any academic objective can be selected to fit with that. And And that's a paradigm shift. That's a paradigm shift. It is very, very different. Classroom teachers are guided to teach and how curricular materials are fashioned. And I think one of the superpowers of teachers is that teachers take and they modify darn near anything that they're presented to Mm -hmm. best meet the needs of their students. So this, this framework is more than simply choosing one of those skills and incorporating it into the curriculum. But it's a paradigm shift to say, hey, these are priorities for my students. And if I truly am teaching holistically, teaching the whole child, I can't leave that out. Right. And and I need to start with that. Right. Because I I teach students, not subjects. And I I think that's the paradigm shift that culturally responsive teaching prompts us to kind of think about is my subject matter is secondary to my students. Yeah. Because we prioritize in order for students to learn, they must be engaged academically. They have to have their attention, effort, and enthusiasm tied to your academic task. But how do we secure their their engagement? We start with them at the beginning and central to the lesson, and the standards would take care of themselves. And it's such a pressing thing now when we're seeing student, you know, attendance issues, higher dropout rates this last year after the pandemic and just kind of what the social world is right now and what students are facing. The engagement and social emotional learning are so critical to connecting with students and keeping them involved in, in what they're learning and just coming back and feeling safe. So true. I just we're just having a conversation with a teacher friend and she was sharing a common narrative that I've heard from teacher friends across the country is that these years of the pandemic have grossly impacted students developmentally. So you're looking at 
prior to as of last academic year, you're looking at second graders who came into school last year who hadn't been in school but for that long as a kindergartner. I'm looking at people, my sister teaches high school in Washington, D.C. She has juniors who developmentally, they act like that of your typical freshman. And so one, I think even before the pandemic, it was a priority that focusing on the whole child that we say in name, but you don't necessarily see it prioritized the way you do academics, but certainly as not even post-pandemic because we're still in it, but certainly following these past two years, it just magnifies that much more how we cannot continue to ignore that or you're going to pay for it. You're going to address it. You just decide if you're going to address it proactively or you're going to address that reactively. Yes, well said. And the other piece going on around us is classroom censorship legislation in different Mm -hmm. states. So talk a little bit about how teachers can use this framework in that context. Much of the classroom censorship that we see is is really politically driven. Let's just say that. The reason why why I come to that conclusion is much of it centers around these anti-critical race theory bills. But when you study critical race theory, particularly critical race theory in education, which appeared in 1994, what they're saying critical race theory is, what the conservatives are saying critical race theory is, is just not what's happening. Critical race theory, there's been 1,600 articles published in educational critical race theory since 1994. I, I know because I'm part of a group of faculty that we did this recent study to really study what is critical race theory, particularly in education, 1,600 research articles. Of these 1,600 research articles, none of them, not even 1%, a quarter of 1% over since 1994 addresses white racism. And some would say, well, what that doesn't make any sense. It makes perfect sense because critical race theory was designed by faculty of color to understand the the experiences of people of color with racism in America and to devise solutions to end racism in America. But since 1994, it's primarily been focused on how to end racism in schools. So it is not something that we use to train K-12 teachers. Critical race theory is taught to PhD students only if, typically only if, they're doing a study where racism is a big part of that study. And it's just one of many frameworks they can use. So when people are talking about critical race theory is being taught in our schools, the issue is this. We don't even have a curriculum on what is critical race theory. That means you you will have to get all the scholars together who've published those 1,600 articles over the years and ask them, what is critical race theory? And how do we teach it? That's a monumental undertaking. Then state board of educations have to approve that curriculum. And to my knowledge, not a single state board of ed has approved critical race theory as a unit of study for young people. Additionally, even once we get the curriculum trained done, we would have to train teachers in critical race theory. As it stands right now that I know of, very few, if any, teacher education programs have approved critical race theory as a teaching strategy for teachers because it doesn't exist. Critical race theory is not a teaching strategy. You know that Dr. Ferguson and I, we keep talking about culturally responsive teaching. 
because you don't use race to teach. You use culture to teach. Race has always been used as a divisive method to separate the human family against one another. It's been done that way for 400 years. So you can't use race as a tool because race is a tool of oppression. You don't use tools of oppression to teach young people. Critical race theory is critical of the idea of human oppression because of skin color. That's what critical race theory is. It's a set of ideas that wants to undo the separation of the human family because of skin color. And racism is the justification of that mistreatment because of this skin color. Critical race theory wants to undo that way of thinking and that way of being in American society. And it certainly does not want that taught in schools, right? So we talk about culturally responsive teaching because we want to respect and respond appropriately to the cultural strengths of young people. Mm -hmm. And when we think about what AIM is, AIM identifies that American kids have five cultural strengths. And those intracultural skills, we want to build them, we want to refine them, we want kids to master them. And so AIM was, I won't say it was specifically designed to be used despite censorship legislation, but that was part of the plan was that despite censorship legislation, teachers have an opportunity to still teach young people how to get along with each other. And to my knowledge and analysis of all of those censorship legislation, they're not banning culture. They're banning issues of race. And race and culture are not the same thing. And we have a unit of lessons called the Cultured Collection. Lesson one within that set is a lesson on culture, what is culture. And it helps kids to distinguish between what is culture and what is race. Race is a tool for human division and oppression. Culture is something that unites us all. And so we use culture as a tool for teaching because all human beings have culture. And culture unites us all despite our age, despite our geographic location, despite whether we are immigrants or citizens of the United States despite our status as uh, military connected or not military connected, culture, our shared beliefs, our shared values, our shared experiences, that unites us all. That's not what the censorship legislation is designed to limit. It's designed to limit political things. AIM provides teachers an opportunity to continue doing what educators do, despite what politicians do. Fabulous. I cannot wait to have more and more people using the lessons because the feedback we're getting so far, we do have surveys on the website and it's just been so enthusiastic. We have uh, students, high school students who have looked at some of them and are just like begging to have them taught in their classrooms. Like they're just really excited too. We also have surveys asking teachers and uh, students and families in English or Spanish what their experience has been with classroom censorship. So I invite our listeners to to complete those as well. Is any last words before we close? Just a big thank you to you, Christy, for your support, (laughs) for wrangling us in to support the great work of IDRA. It's uh, been truly an honor. We've learned and grown so much as a result of this partnership. So just want to say a big thank you to you and IDRA. 
Thank you for your creativity and doing this good work. I do want to let listeners know that we have a one-page visual about the AIM framework and the incredible lessons on the School Resource Hub. They're available free. Again, that URL is adracen.org slash hub. And we are grateful to the Charles and Lynn Schusterman Philanthropies for supporting our creation of the hub. And we have links to the show notes of this episode, including some to webinar presentations by Dr. Ferguson and Dr. James that'll walk you through some of these lessons and how to use them in the classroom. So there's a lot of strong resources there in that way, in that format as well. So I'll close now. Thank y'all so much for listening and thank, thank y'all you for being here. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Have an Christy. awesome day. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.